Hey friend, welcome back here to the Semi-Seminarian. Here we are right in the middle of Holy Week. Today we're celebrating Monday, Thursday, remembrance of that night in which Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room in an event that we popularly call the Last Supper. And in this episode, we contemplate those final few hours before Jesus' arrest that will lead to his violent death. And what might Jesus be thinking in these last few moments? Is it time to confront the authorities head on? Or is it time to run and hide? I'll see you on the other side. So, as we do that tonight, what I'd like to do is just for a second, let us reimagine the days leading up to Good Friday, the day of crucifixion. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just suggest that perhaps Jesus, let's just hear me out, Jesus didn't intend to die, at least not yet. Let's speculate on this Maundy Thursday. While Jesus is still the one sent, as Matthew describes, to save his people from their sins, he thinks perhaps to himself, I need just a little bit more time. What if, what if he thought all that he had said and all that he had done up to that point while very close to completion, was not finished yet. Let's say that he has discerned for himself that he needs just a bit more time to let the world know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, as Peter puts it, is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So what if, what if on this night, in that upper room, Rather than gathering his disciples to serve them and to say goodbye, let's say he was actually getting them together to hatch a getaway scheme. Perhaps plan an escape route out of Jerusalem and to safety. Now friends, remember, this is not just some obscure rabble-rouser, some two-bit phony troublemaker. Remember, Jesus of Nazareth is the one who loudly proclaims, as John tells us, that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Or I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Where could they have gone so that Jesus may still have been able to claim that he is the Messiah and yet for just a little bit of time longer be guaranteed safe haven. Was there anywhere he could have gone? Was there anywhere that he could hide? Where on a first century map would he need to hide out in order to avoid the hazards of being persecuted? Jesus laments in the 15th chapter of John, they persecuted me. 
He said, they hated me without a cause. Where could Jesus have gone and it still be relatively safe for Jesus? Well, in these few moments that I have with you, I'd like to just suppose a few possibilities. The first one I'd like for us to look at is actually Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem had already proven that that city was no friend to Jesus. The holy city was the center of Jewish spiritual life. It was filled with rabbis, all kinds of religious folks, Sadducees, Pharisees, all of these people who had opinions about Jesus and friends, almost none of them were good. Jerusalem had a short fuse for guys like Jesus, especially when they were successful at gathering a crowd. It's just a matter of time before things get crazy for Jesus and his crew. And on this Thursday, things are beginning to boil over. Let's get another one. Nazareth. Nazareth seems like a natural, safe space. After all, Nazareth is Jesus' hometown. This is where he played as a boy and learned the carpentry trade as a young man. Nazareth was home to his family and his friends who knew him simply as Joseph, the son, sorry, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the firstborn of Mary. Certainly, he and his disciples could continue their ministry there in Nazareth, free from threats and hiding with incredible effectiveness, right? Well, going home can be difficult. Just ask the small town boy who's made it as the big city lawyer or the little girl who's gone to college and earned a degree and now has seen as much or maybe more of the world than mom and dad. When Dr. Smith goes home back to Heston, Kansas, she's still just little Sarah to some. When the father of five goes back to his hometown in Iowa, to mom and dad, he's just still one of the boys. Many times when we go home, people around us struggle to see us as who we've become because they're simply more comfortable with who we used to be. Early in his ministry, Jesus experienced exactly this happening. Reading from scripture in the synagogue at Nazareth, he pro publicly proclaimed that he was, in fact, the long-awaited redeemer of God's people, which was promised by the prophet Isaiah. Yet even with Jesus' home synagogue advantage, the crowd did not react kindly. In fact, Jesus is driven to the edge of a cliff where his own people attempt to kill him. And Jesus was right when he said in the gospel account of Luke in the fourth chapter, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Like people in our world today who have had an encounter with Jesus, the folks there in Nazareth didn't want to deal with the claims that, that Scripture has been fulfilled at your hearing. Because for so many of them, 
The reality of who Jesus was was inconvenient. They just wanted a Jesus that would be the good small town boy all grown up, a good man who'd made his folks proud. Not some miracle working Jesus, one and only Messiah Jesus, but a hometown boy who lived an honorable life. That's it. Anything else is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. So that means that more than likely, Nazareth as a place to hide is a no-go. Now, northwest of Nazareth is this uh, port city called Caesarea Philippi. And it was a part of the world that was known for its wild worship of all sorts of pagan gods and goddesses. And Caesarea Philippi worship of anything in any manner was fair game. Here, Jesus and his disciples would be just one crazy cult among many others. Certainly such an open and accepting place like Caesarea Philippi would be a perfect place for Jesus to set up shop, right? But here's the thing. The tolerant folks who embrace the all roads lead to God bit and whose mantra indeed is the very virtue of tolerance are very often the same people who are incredibly intolerant of those who argue when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me, through me. Jesus' message with love and acceptance laden in it for all was certainly narrow. Not broad when discussing how one comes to the Father. It's not a message of convenience. It's not a message that simply makes everybody happy. In fact, midway through his ministry, Jesus brought the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which was, I'm trying. I couldn't overstate it. It was ground zero for pagan worship. It was also the place where Peter, in fact, claimed that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Later, Jesus turned to what a crowd, to likely a crowd that had gathered there to worship false gods, promising all kinds of things, uh, fertility, pleasure, uh, wealth, all of these things, turns to this crowd and shouts to them, for what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words of this adulterous and sinful generation, of them, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with holy angels. As a general rule, people who have already found a God that they enjoy don't really like it when other people tell them that they've gotten it wrong. So if Jesus 
were to have a hazard-free home in Caesarea Philippi, he'd likely had to have become a part of this all paths lead to God or big boat God, right? It doesn't matter how or who you worship. That kind of Jesus. He'd have to become something other than Jesus. Because we see Jesus boldly teaching, preaching, and healing in the Gospels in, in, border, in order to avoid being persecuted and hated as he was now. Again, the, the Jesus that the Savior has to be for us is inconvenient for all involved. So much for Caesarea Philippi. The truth is, friends, that there was nowhere for Jesus to run to. There was no place to hide. For Jesus to be the Savior that he has to be, to fulfill the will of our righteous God, he's going to have to meet head-on adversity and conflict. The submission to God through His Son, Jesus, requires of us an uncompromising, inconvenient surrender to self. And it's something that is going to have to be met with hostility in our lives no matter what. The reality of who Jesus is and what His life here on earth means for us is absolute, it is immutable, and it is inconvenient. And the hostility and the inconvenience exist today just as it did in Jesus' time. Because the truth is, even today, there are those of us who want to focus on the human Jesus and not the divine Jesus. Even today, there are those who would prefer to make Jesus in their own image. Allowing them to continue to put their hopes and their hearts into a selfish, materialistic, convenient desire. The thing Jesus is calling us away from. There are those that would rather focus on the truth of the lessons of Jesus rather than the reality that he was the literal embodiment of the truth. If we're honest... If we're honest, we would recognize that there are those of us, there are those of us in our society today that would still rather kill off Jesus and be done with him than to surrender their lives to him and be transformed. It's true. Our Savior knew these things to be true. He knew there was no place to hide. He knew God's desire for him was unyielding and inconvenient. So, instead of concocting some getaway plan, on this night, we find our friend and Savior in that upper room, gathered together with his friends, saying his goodbyes. He knows his fate, and it does not include escape. Rather, confrontation. Jesus is not going to run from his detractors. Rather, he's going to face them head on 
with love, approve them all. And friends, there's a lesson in there for us as well. When we stay focused on the truth in God's eyes, we can conquer and vanish any foe we encounter. And for Jesus on this night, it meant no running away. There was to be no tactical retreat. No. His place this Thursday night is right here. Right here in the middle of Jerusalem. His battleground is right here in the thick of the action. Right here. Where with the passing of just one more day, he will have encountered the cross. And there, bloodied and beaten, on that cross, where the conflict of the realities of what the world is and what Jesus has come to do meets its eventual climax. Because it was there that Jesus shed his blood and died for a world, including those, including those who thought that he was a lunatic screamed at him that he was a liar. Even when they thought that he had won, that they had won, three days later he comes back, confidently resurrected, proven wrong. Tonight, though, even in the relative calm, his friends can tell something is up. Peter notices nervously and implores Jesus to take him wherever Jesus says he's going. And Jesus responds by saying, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow after. This is something Jesus had to do on his own. But Peter's time would come to, and no matter how inconvenient too, friends, it'll also come for us. You see, after Monday, Thursday, after Good uh, Friday, after Easter morning, after we encounter the reality of a resurrected Savior who's confronted his own accusers and proven himself victorious, it's no longer Jesus' time to die. It's ours. It's our turn to take that message of love, forgiveness, everywhere. Even into those places we find hazardous or inconvenient. God has called each one of us to take that life-changing, life-saving, albeit at times inconvenient message to our friends, to our children, and to our community. There are times when the good news will be celebrated, and there will be times when that same message will be met with hostility. There are times when our witness might be met with downright hazards. But we must recall, friends, it is now our turn to die. Before we become strong enough to willingly run into the conflict in front of and all of around us, we must first and foremost confront the conflict within us. We must confess that we too at times desire a Jesus other than the ones we're given in the gospel accounts. We too at times desire who, a Jesus who meets our needs. We too desire a Jesus that lets us love other gods and worship other idols rather than giving us a Jesus who rules our lives, drives us to repentance, and forgives us of our sins. 
We must face the fact that often the person who presents the greatest hostility to Jesus in our lives is we or us ourselves. And in response, each day we are the ones who need to die to our earthly desires, our weird, wild, and wicked ways. So that the reality of Christ and the truth of Christ might live in us and be shown through us, as Paul exhorts us to do. For Jesus and for us, his followers, there's no hiding. There are no hazard-free zones of finding the safest place to hide. There is no place to hide. Instead, he and we had right into the middle of the action with the unfiltered, unfiltered message of forgiveness and love of God. But tonight, on this Monday Thursday, it's time to recall the lessons of foot washings, the sharing of a final meal and a few goodbyes. It's safe now. It's quiet. Once Jesus and his disciples leave this room for each one, the confrontation has begun. You know, one of the things that I cannot help but thinking every Holy Week during this particular time is how so many of us love so much of the events of Holy Week. We, we love the triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We love the turning over of the tables at the temple. We love the Last Supper and the foot washing. We love the resurrection to celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. But it's in this moment, it's in the, these last fatal few hours of Jesus' earthly life, where we have to confront the violence of humanity. So often we want to jump from one event to the other, skipping over the difficult and the hard parts without actually sitting, pondering in the moment the violence that will be carried out on Jesus of Nazareth over the next couple of days. I think the reason why it's so hard for us to ponder is because we just can't imagine that we're of that same humanity, but we are. And the definition of grace is despite that, Jesus is going to die on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins anyway. It's a hard truth, but it's something that we must sit with and acknowledge. It's definitely something to think about. Anyway, until next time, I hope you're blessed. We'll see you next time.